Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode. We got a great millionaire interview with Nathan Foy. Nathan is the founder and CEO of Fortis, a nine-time Inc. honoree as one of America's fastest-growing companies that basically services the travel and provides security for some of the wealthiest and richest people on the planet. He wrote a book called What Rich Clients Want and They Won't Tell You. And it was really cool to hear the psychology of how he has created an industry, a business servicing the rich and wealthy, and how you can either, one, learn from some of these lessons as you try and work and create a service or a product or get into the space of those types of individuals, or maybe if you want to be one of those individuals, or maybe you want to be both. Uh, A lot of cool things that he shared in today's episode, and one of the things that I really enjoyed was our conversation around what it took to get to where he's at today and how it has been a 20-year grind. We live in a world of, you know, fast results. At least people want to desire fast results. And they're not really willing to put in the work. And to hear his psychology, to hear the wins, the losses, the peaks and the valleys, and everything in between that has gone into creating the company that he has today and how his mindset has really shifted and what it's turned into today versus where it was in the beginning. I think there's a lot of learning lessons in here for many entrepreneurs at different stages of their journey. And some of the cool things that I really enjoyed, we talked a lot of tactical strategy and business psychology, but it was also really cool to hear how he has baked in balance to his life, how he's continued to have a thriving and a healthy marriage, still be a great parent. He's a man of faith and how that has really driven what success that he's had and how he's contributed you know, to uh, his community as a whole. And so overall, I think there's going to be some really cool lessons that many of you who are on your entrepreneurial journey as you're building wealth are able to pick and pull some of these and apply them in your own unique way. And with that being said, we really kind of dug into some of the things that he has been using in terms of building wealth outside of his business, some of the tax strategies that he uses, some really cool stuff in this conversation. So with that being said, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you enjoy this. Tag myself, tag Nathan. Don't uh, forget to head over to millionairemindcast.com as well if you want any of the links, any of the resources that we talk about in this episode. That'll be available for you guys. And without any further ado, let's dig into today's interview with Nathan Foy from Fortis right after this quick message from today's show sponsor. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. 
These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome into the show today, Nathan Foy. How are we doing, brother? I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, I, I was just saying, you know, we, we made it through the holidays. We are alive. Uh, we're healthy. And uh, I'm just feeling optimistic and excited about, you know, hitting the ground running in 2022 and all the goals that we're going after. I got a few that are uh, what I like to call the pucker effect. They, you know, they, they're, they're a little bit big. They make you pucker a little bit, but uh, that's all good um, in my world. What about yourself? How was your holiday? Uh, it was terrific. It was terrific. I have, uh, my, my second is, uh, is a new year's baby. So we have the, the two for of Christmas and then a big birthday. She turned 10 on uh, the first of the year. So, uh, got those both out of the way. It was a fun celebration and kind of ready to rock. I love it, man. Well, many have heard your bio, obviously coming into this interview, but you know, being the founder and CEO of Fortis nine time Inc magazine honoree as you know, one of America's fastest growing companies, Talk a little bit about your journey to getting your footing and finding and, and founding uh, Fortis and, and what it is that you guys do. Sure. Uh, so Fortis does secure private travel for the world's most discerning travelers. So our core client is someone that usually has a net worth over $600 million. They would have their own private jets. And this is somebody that, you know, when they travel, it's not just a personal experience. It's there's a team of security and assistants and chief pilots that are supporting them. And then basically we work to coordinate all of those so that they can get more accomplished when they travel. And so usually that's through chauffeurs, uh, cars and chauffeurs, security arrangements. We provide those Intel reports. And then there's one-off things that we do for clients that do a lot of work with us, like you know the occasional yacht or private jet or helicopter, or those kinds of things. So um, we're really kind of uh, ninjas for uh, the most discerning travelers in the world. I got into it by accident, really, because, uh, you know, Maddie, I failed into it. So it's easy to be humble about it. The original conception of Fortis was to be a prepaid taxicab card for college students. And parents would put a balance in a card and kids would use it to get around their college town. And this was in 2000 when prepaid cards were all the rage, like meal cards and phone cards and all that. Right. And I thought, well, there ought to be a transportation card. And so we went up and down the East Coast to major university cities, uh, literally, you know, at Harvard bookstore, I'm sitting there at a card table, barking at parents as they're buying textbooks. And then 9-11 happened and the bottom fell out. And our pivot was that we started to sell those cards to companies rather than just students. And then early in 2002, TSA had started and people that had the means were getting out of commercial aviation and starting to fly more charter. And they had no idea who should pick them up. 
And so that was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of a shotgun wedding, but, uh, you know, we're 20 years into that almost exactly. And that's been a really, really great niche for us. That's amazing. And uh, let me say, I should say too, that's also, you know, with that, that also changed to chauffeured cars instead of taxi cabs and you know, lower end transportation. We went high end pretty quickly. I wanted to dig in on a couple of things there because I think you brought to light some really cool stuff in terms of one, 20 years you've been working and grinding and growing and loving and sacrificing and failing right on this business. You also talked about feeling your way forward to kind of finding this opportunity. You know, and many people that have the drive and the passion and they want to go into, you know, finding something that allows them to live life in a much freer, more passionate, you know, purposeful way, they oftentimes don't get there because it's the failures that, you know, kind of force them to, you know, determine whether or not they're made for this. If they want to play small, go comfortable. How did you handle that journey to finding, you know, Fortis along the way and what kept you going during that time? And then also, I know that, you know, building a business is not easy and it tests your resolve and, and, you know, obviously forces you to have to level up. So I'd love to know what, you know, the progression of your leadership and, you know, your journey as a business owner has looked like as well. Sure. Uh, so the, I, I would say a few, a few specific things kept me going. One is, uh, my faith. I, I, I just kind of leaned on that. I talked to God a lot during that process. And I really felt like this is kind of what I'm called to do. So there was kind of a, a sense of uh, responsibility that came with that. Another aspect of the responsibility was just I had raised $250,000 of money from friends and family. And uh, no one was going to lose their house or you know anything major, but it's a crummy feeling. These were friends from high school and college. I was 22 when I started. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't want to lose their money without giving it my best. I find that actually, if I'm working on something just by myself, I'm pretty lazy, but if someone else is dependent on me, uh, that really lights a fire under me. So just thinking about other people that trusted me, other people that worked for me, that kept me going. And then the final thing I would say is just, um, you know, I would say there's probably four or five major pivot points that we've had in our history. And almost all of them were difficult to hear either circumstances or truths that people gave us. And one of the things I've learned is that if you lean into those things and really listen and really deconstruct the criticism or just honestly assess a new landscape that you can't control, that actually is probably more important than how you navigate the normalcy that that results after it. And so it's incredibly important, I think, I call it hugging the cactus you know, but to, to lean into the difficult things so that you get the most out of it and be willing to endure some pain in that. That is uh, a, an awesome term, right? Because, you know, it, while it hurts, there's beauty in those truths. I look at some of my mentors and honestly, some of the things that have hurt, maybe hurt my ego or my feelings the most were the most spot on things that I needed to hear in that moment. And it really was you know, asking yourself, am I willing to check my ego at the door and and take this feedback, whether I agree with it or not, like the common denominator is me. And if I'm receiving and open to that, um, and I want to solve for the solution, solve for the outcome, which is winning, right? Serving people, serving customers, serving my employees, I have to be willing to, you know, take any and all feedback. And like you said, discern and listen and lean in 
And I think that's a skill set that I've at least encountered amongst every leader that has built an amazing business is they have this way of taking it all in and sifting through it and then figuring out how to, you know, improve and level up and, you know, kind of optimize moving forward. What has been in your world, what you believe over the course of your 20 years, the greatest skill that you've brought to your organization that has made you guys successful? I would say knowing when and how to pivot, which is kind of the opposite you know, side of the coin of what we're talking about with the pain. I've had people ask me how to describe, how do you know when to pivot? And it's one of those things that I feel is uh, you, you need a lot of repetitions and then it's kind of innate, but I can't, really, I can't really give a paragraph or two explanation of this is when you know. I mean, maybe some indicators would be, um, you know, if you if you feel like you're quitting and you haven't given it your best, it's probably not time to pivot. You know, mm. if there's other people that are kind of telling you it's time to pivot, they really understand your business and they care for you. Uh, that's probably an indication. But even with all of those things, there's things that I haven't pivoted on that I was counseled to do so. And there's things that I did pivot. Uh, and, uh, it probably was too late in many people's eyes and so forth. So, um, I think that the best thing to do is, uh, to do it and then to develop your own instincts for what you're doing. And if you really are getting those 10,000 hours and all those repetitions in, um, and you trust that kind of inner voice, uh, I think, I think you'll develop it, but every, you know, every business is different and, and, and how and when to do that. Yeah, I've. Sometimes you don't trust yourself, but then also you have to have this confidence and conviction to still, at the end of the day, live and die on your own sword based on no matter what feedback is being given to you. How have you discerned? Is it a board of directors? Is it uh, you know a, a group of you know trusted you know mentors or business leaders? Like how how have you been able to get out of your own head? Being that you know as a as a CEO, right? It's a lot of pressure, like you said, um, it never shuts off. Things never slow down. There's something always to do. There's always an idea or an opportunity or a threat. How have you been able to, you know, keep that consistency and discipline and conviction around what you think is right for the company and the vision as you guys move things forward? So I think one of my things I do as a CEO is I build relationships with client CEOs or heads of organizations. And I think that's super vital. I, I I espouse that. Uh, at the same time, when I lean in the most is when I talk on the operator level to clients like an aviation company that's using us. And I'm actually talking to operators. And I think that may be an interesting thing or an easy thing to overlook uh, to say, well, you know, I have a great relationship with the boss there. So, you know, we're good to go. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, so this is about five or six years ago. Uh, we're, we're at a higher price point in our industry uh, and always have been. We pay our chauffeurs more. We pay our security people more, uh, and our clients, frankly, are worth more. So um, you know, we're very upfront about that. But we were getting uh, these great reviews from this client in Ohio, and I mean, they're superlative. You cu you couldn't do anything better. And then we were getting uh, six bookings in a month for two hundred jets that they had, and I I went and visited them, and I said something doesn't add up because you have two hundred planes out there. And we got six bookings and you actually called for 13 quotes. We only got six of those. So what's happening? And, and this is at the operator level. And the operators told me, they said, oh, well, your price is so high, it doesn't compute to first-time users. And all of the good things about when we actually use your service are negated by the fact 
that the client just doesn't get it. And then I've got 25 things to do and I've got to go redo this Fortis book. And, uh, and so what we did is we came up with a one page PDF to explain particularly how we're more secure. And we just said, send this to your client the first time that they use us. And in six months, their volume 10X with us wow. and their quote acceptance went to 80%. But if I had just met with the senior people, I would have never gotten that information. Mm. So really getting in the trenches has also been an important piece of... Because oftentimes you see a lot of CEOs or you know leadership, sometimes they get too far removed. What does that balance look like for you being your organization is so large? What are some of the things that you like to do kind of in a day-to-day basis or a weekly rhythm for yourself that still gives you, the CEO, that kind of finger on the pulse and, and staying connected to your organization or your industry as a whole? So uh, we have a daily stand-up huddle uh, for our operations team. And as much as I'm able to, I participate in that and I listen to that. It's really, really granular about you know details of a specific trip that's happening in Ottawa or somewhere. And uh, so I understand, I, I, I try to engage with that. Um, I talk to chauffeurs. We have what we call partners uh, or chauffeurs that we're closely with. Uh, I probably do 50% of the sessions at our conferences with them. And I go out and have a drink with them or have dinner with them. And uh, I'm always just asking them, what are things that I need to know that I don't? And those guys are on the ground every day and they'll give you the lowdown uh, in a way that that others don't. And and frankly, a lot of them are just a lot more blunt than uh, <laughs> uh, the people on the team. And that's great because uh, I, the unvarnished truth is really, I think, where the most pearls come from. I agree. I agree. Now, you talked about... The important, well, you said something and it made me think about, um, you know, retention and, and, and employees and culture. And, you know, any great organization that has grown to the level that you guys have, I can imagine it's, it's, you're awesome, right? But it's because you've got a ton of amazing people in your organization that are executing on your brand promise and your service that you guys are expected to provide. What does the company culture look like at Fortis? And, what makes you guys different or what makes your employees you know, constantly growing and thriving and how that obviously trickles out into the service and the customer experience? Well, I think we have a freedom to fail here. So I don't think you're going to be able to provide high-end services to the world's most discerning people if you're not trying new things and sharing successes and failures and feedback. So I tell everybody that we hire, if you've been here two or three years and you haven't failed, that has become your biggest failure. Uh, so you should be trying things. Um, another thing that we're adamant on that kind of goes with that is uh, a challenge is welcome attitude. And what I mean by that is that if you ask me to do an ASAP booking for a SUV and literally uh, Nepal, let's say, and you're asking me that on Saturday night. Okay, if I just give you a sigh or I give you, you know, it's Saturday night, you're asking for an ASAP in Nepal. If I give you any of those kinds of things, I'm creating distance between the two of us. And you start to think, am I being unreasonable? Am I being a jerk? Is this not what they do? You know, and, and there's there's distance. Uh, versus if I just said, Maddie, thank you for asking me that. Let's let's roll up our sleeves and see what we can do. I'll be back in touch with you in 10 minutes. I still may not be able to do it. If it's not up to our standards, we won't do it. But I just told you, you can you can ask me anything and I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and do it. And the really cool thing is, is that 
when you do that enough, you start to see patterns. And what are the really out there challenges that the ultra high net worth have? And that actually becomes the basis of our new services that we offer. It's not based on me in a lab. It's just listening to people because we receive all the challenges they have. I love that. Getting it from them and having that attitude that you guys will get in there, figure it out and see if there's any dots to connect, which is always a great way to at least get a tip of the cap of maybe where you guys should be skating to where the puck is going next, right? What are some of the trends and some of the things that you're seeing in your business or in culture or in travel that in general are interesting and that you guys are paying attention to? So I think I think a couple of meta trends uh, that are really interesting. So in, in the area of curation, uh, what we see is ultra high net worth travelers are wanting more and more to have their preferences tracked and those translated with a select group of personnel that are serving them. So just as you know, we curate our lists on Netflix or Amazon Prime and those of things. Uh, this is doing it for for service people. Um, so there's people that will have a favorite chauffeur in Paris and in Marrakesh and in all these different cities. And their biggest thing is, is just, I want to know that I'm going to get Pierre in Paris. He's going to know exactly what my requirements are. He's going to remember the gate code from six months ago. I don't have to re- rebrief him on all those things. And that becomes, uh, I think, more service and more security. Uh, and that that list of curation is um, probably one of the most valuable things that we have. It's not just the the people and the service that they provide, but hooking them up with the same favorites that they have in, in cities that they've been to before. Security is a huge rising concern. You know, the gap between wealthy and poor is greater than ever. Yep. And then with that, there's just more targeting and more cities, frankly, are just becoming unsafe. Um, and so what's unique about what we do is, is that uh, we do what we call travel security that fits. So we kind of do a 360 of the person and the profile and the location and the event, all the different things. And what he's trying to accomplish is really the most important. And then do a risk-based analysis of where we should put more resources, but it still fits the way that he moves. It still fits the way that he travels. So most of the security world is uh, threat-based. Uh, because most of the people that do security come out of threat-based environments. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, but it really applies more to Honduras, you know, than it does to, uh, I don't know, you know, Baltimore, you know, somewhere like that. So um, it's, it's important to have one that flexes, the model that flexes. And then I think if people feel more secure and they feel like they can curate, I think the level of trust with our clientele just goes to the roof. That's awesome. Now, I want to shift a little bit more towards you and your mindset in your personal life and how you've built out your life. Not just business, obviously, seems like it's been a vehicle that has unlocked a lot of freedom, a lot of benefits, a lot of impact for you. Um, As we transition over towards kind of your personal um, side of lifestyle, the whole life millionaire, not just living like a millionaire in your bank account, but living like a millionaire intentionally and building skills and characteristics that uh, we think lead to a very rich and fulfilling life beyond just financial success. What are you most proud of um, about what you've created at Fortis? I think I'm most proud of the team. Uh, You know, I don't think that I build the team or I build people. I think I create an environment where people can build themselves and, and become something great themselves. And that might seem like I'm parsing language, but I really do think that's an important distinction. So, you know, with our mission, vision, and values... And actually, we just did one uh, last week or two weeks ago on our culture survey. We asked everybody, you know, on our leadership team, how are we doing? 
You know, are we actually walking the walk uh, that we say that we espouse for that culture? And uh, and I think if you create that shared way of doing things that people feel genuinely cared for, they feel like, no, these aren't just words on a wall, like you actually intentionally live them out, uh, that goes a long way. So just a practical example of that, because I know a lot of people say that, is that our company meeting every week, we have recognitions. So we gossip good things about other people. And all of those recognitions are tied to one of our core values. So I wouldn't just say, Maddie, you know, you did great, you stayed late, you know, uh, that it needs to be tied with one of the core things that we value because that's why we should praise each other. Uh, and then the more that that's actually coming from everybody on the team, the more that really just gets in the bones of the team. And now we have a shared way of viewing what's worth recognizing and what's not. I love that. Gossip, good things. That's that's a takeaway right there. I, I think that is so important. Um, we acknowledge and, and reprimand and really we just we communicate in terms of our core values at the company, right? And so I love that you guys have baked that into your weekly rhythm. And, and, and in terms of like, department goals and rocks and you know things like that do you guys have a particular operating system or or framework that you guys subscribe to that has served your business well well uh we've done the the eos model um but to be candid with you once COVID hit it kind of everything became a snow globe uh and so uh it's all been shaken up and it's all changed we're trying to get back actually just to um you know budgets and department goals for this year. And then I think more of an, a consistent operating system re-implementation would be maybe maybe three to six months out from this point. Yeah. Um, but just to give you one example, one thing I do believe in, and we still we did this even through COVID, um, if you know Good to Great and Jim Collins and the flywheel, uh, we did the flywheel and we are very intentional about the flywheel. And then we had operations and sales coming together about uh, key clients and where they are on our flywheel and how to progress them. And that was a, a monthly meeting. But uh, that's something that we still highlight a ton and think intentionally about um, because it's really the essence of our business. I love it. So as you got into um, you know, having some success with the business, I'm curious, uh, always curious on how people can learn from other leaders who have created financial abundance in their business to fund and build and create balance in their lifestyle. So what does your family and, you know, kind of lifestyle dynamic look like outside of work? And how do you balance that between having a, you know, ink top co- uh, company year after year and obviously having deadlines and having goals and milestones and things that you guys are looking to hit, but also still keeping that balance in your personal life? So, um, I've been married 14 years. Uh, my wife is Pam. We have four kids that range between uh, 12, well, soon to be 12 and uh, five, um, two girls and then two boys. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, we've got a house, we've got a lake house, we've got you know, lots of friends and family. My wife is super social, so we're, we're always doing social activities. Um, so um, I think you know, and believe me, I'm not saying this by any means to say I've figured all of this out. <laughs> um, we've got our problems just like anybody else. But uh, I think a few things I've learned over the years is that uh, incorporating your family into the business so that it's not two completely separate worlds. Yes. Um, I had a book launch party uh, for what Roots clients want in October. And my oldest daughter is really into playwriting and, and writing in general. And so we brought my oldest two daughters to the party. 
they fell asleep at nine o'clock, you know, and uh, that's fine. But like, they had a really good time. And I told them, I don't know what I'm writing a book again. So, you know, you should come to this one. Uh, my wife actually gave a speech at that book launch party. Uh, she really intentional about knowing who the team uh, and even spouses of the team are uh, and those kinds of things. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. So um, we just set up uh, an operation in India a couple months ago, and Pam is already kind of like getting familiar with who's the team in India and what's their story and all of that. So I think that helps to make it uh, so that it's more integrated. And then I think it's just super important with particularly my wife. It's not that I always have to be around or that the time is always an issue. I think it's more of the prioritization. Mm. So more of my willingness to lay down my time in the event that there's something that's needed. Yes. Uh, and fortunately, I mean, I think business owners that reach, you know, a certain level of the operation running on a stone, you have more ability to do that than you do in the early days. In the early days, you know, I was working weekends and taking the phone home just like everyone else. Right. Uh, but now I have a little bit more flexibility for that. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece to to highlight, right? Is when when you're in that startup mode and until you earn the right to be able to delegate and leverage all of those things, it really has to be that mentality of I'm willing to do whatever it takes. This is what I signed up for. And, you know, I'm wearing every marketing and sales and finance and operations, whatever cap you have to wear. Right. But I love the prioritization. I look at kind of like um, all my responsibilities and commitments as kind of like a totem pole. And, you know, my, my, my wife and my children are at the top of that totem pole. That doesn't mean that they're getting all the time that, you know, people think, but one of the questions that I, that really helped me was, um, instead of me assuming what my wife and my kids need, I started asking them like, Hey, what do you, we, we started doing a relationship recharge. We do it every week, three questions, my wife and I, every Sunday, um, what did I do well this week? What could I have done better? And, and what do you have coming up this week that I can support you in? 
And, um, and it gave me that direct feedback on where I was winning, where I was, you know, not doing so well. What did she need from me this upcoming week? So I knew how to win with her. And then I started doing it with the kids and it was crazy. The Delta on what I thought my wife and my kids needed versus what they said and actually do need was, it it was actually pretty big. I was surprised by that, which then gave me a little bit more permission to retool things in the business to make sure that that priority was addressed, but it also freed up a ton of time to go do more in the business as well as I was building because I didn't feel guilty or like I had to be at certain places or doing certain things that maybe I didn't need to do to you know fill their cup and make sure that I was winning as a dad and a husband. I'm going to borrow that. Uh, that's that's terrific. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it takes 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes it leads to uh, some, you know, some some fun, constructive conversations. Sometimes it leads to romance. I mean, you never know where it's going to go, but it it does create that, that good feedback. So I love that. Um, in terms of, you know, a lot of people, as they start to get a little bit of success, they take their eye off of, you know, let's say the core tree trunk and start looking at all these different branches and leaves. I'm curious, you know, when did you feel like you earned the right to start looking at and investing either time or money or resources into other things outside of your business? And what were those? And how, how'd that pay off? Well, I don't know that I've, I've... It was a moment of saying I've earned the right. It was literally more of like, I've earned the, maybe the money to be able to do that and yeah. uh, you know, to, 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 to branch out. So the, the first thing I did, I, did a, uh, I bought a business that was meant to be um, really a side thing. Uh, it was a... a a friend who was leaving the state and uh, he had an auto detailing business and I had a guy that I was going to hire to manage that. Um, long story short, I didn't go to graduate school, but I paid for graduate school because uh, <laughs> that that's about how much money I lost in that whole endeavor. Um, so, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, how do you run, how do you operate a business that you're not there? And I say, I haven't figured that out. Um, I've tried that. Um, the thing I, I think I am, uh, really interested in, and I'd say I have some ability at is, uh, I think creative deal-making. Um, I've noticed there's a really good book. In fact, I'm going to reread it uh, at the beginning of this year. It's called the big leap. Oh, um, so you know, the big leap. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's like one of the few ones that I just reread all the time. Same. I interviewed gay, um, it was probably mid, mid last year and hands down still one of my top three personal development books of all time for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's indispensable. And, uh, so I think, I think my zone of genius where I can really do things well is if I understand you need this, you need this, you need this. And this is a creative way that everyone wins. Like that is to me a fun deal to put together. Um, and so I'm working on a few things on that right now in real estate. I'm working on some things like that with other endeavors, charitable giving and so forth. Um, but that's fun to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not always ROI based. It's more based on, I feel, uh, you know, can we solve a creative problem and help yeah. everyone achieve more? I love that. What has been your greatest or favorite wealth building vehicles outside of your business? Uh, well, I guess the main things I do are uh, between uh, real estate, um, and then I'm a believer in what I call real money, precious metals. Um, you know, I, I do, uh, do that. Uh, I, um, as of maybe six months to a year ago, I'm completely out of stocks. I'm completely out of that. I think the bubble is super, super huge. Um, and, uh, I'm not afraid or anything. I just don't think, uh, I think if you looked, I saw the other day, if you look at the multiple 
of how high the market is inflated versus 1929. It's actually uh, maybe another 20 or 30% over 1929 before that crash right now. Um, so I just kind of feel like the fundamentals are a little bit out of sorts. I do like investing in uh, startups, especially if uh, I know the founder. Uh, so I've done, I've done several of those and that's, that's a lot of fun. And I feel like at that level, I can kind of be involved and in, in try to help create value too. Have you had any uh, big unicorns come out of your, your startup endeavors? I know uh, one of my mentors, he says, you know, one in every 10 that he invests in usually will hit and he'll get a nice, you know, five or seven X type of return. But how, how's your experience been in kind of the VC angel investing world? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, I've, I've had some, some definite duds, uh, like I mentioned, but uh, I, th- I think the best one I had was about 20X over 10 years. So um, I was pretty happy with that one. I, I wouldn't be upset about that either. That's for sure. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, your, let's say, maybe fringe or your curiosity of investments or things that you're exploring, is there anything on your radar that you're paying attention to, whether it's investing outside of your business or investing into your business around, you know, trends and and landscape and economics and just the global perspective shifting that you think might be some opportunities that uh, people should, you know, have on their radar. This is kind of front of mind for me because I literally just sold our office condo. I mean, we're still the tenant, but I sold the the unit here, and I'm I'm doing a 1031 exchange on that. And as I've uh, so that's the tax free you know uh, real estate investment that you can take it and deploy it elsewhere. Yeah. And I've I've really uh, and I've had some conversations with some buddies that have done that, uh, and it's really amazing when you think about it because if you just take that and keep rolling it and you're not paying the tax each time, and I mean, you can do that till you die, you can do that to your inheritors, you know all that, and it's amazing how much what you could do with that. And then uh, creatively for different kinds of real estate, I had to really. I'm not a landlord. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not an Airbnb guy. Like somebody's faucet's leaking, it just bothers me. I don't know how to fix anything. <laughs> so like that's not my my jam. But like I like land. I like plug and play real estate if I can take it and hand it to a developer. Those kinds of things. So I think for too long I had thought I'm not a real estate guy, but I'm really just not a typical real estate guy. But I actually do enjoy that. Um, so I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, personally, you know, I think silver is uh, one of the most suppressed investments that's out there. I think there's, uh, it's not even really speculation. There's, there's active suppression through short selling of the silver market. And if you look at silver in 1913 dollars before the Federal Reserve was created, uh, it's worth $2,900 today uh, per ounce. And right now it's 23 an ounce. So uh, I'm not saying that that is the true price. Uh, but there's a case to be made that it's six hundred, a thousand dollars or more, and there's nothing else that you're going to find. I think that's a demonstrable for thousands of years store of value that's so dramatically underpriced right now. Yeah, interesting. Those are those are some good things to to take note of for sure. Now, a lot of people that are listening always are looking for that next level, right? And when I look back, kind of in my rearview mirror, there have been certain skills or qualities or characteristics that. I have attributed some of my financial success to, or that I've seen in common threads amongst other very wealthy and successful people. What investment skill or you know financial skill do you think is most important for people to learn how to cultivate to not only unlock financial freedom, but to sustain and grow it? 
Uh, as a business person, as a business owner or investor? In general, I think a- okay. any, any investment or financial characteristic, tool, skill set that has served you, um, you know, whether it's in your business or, or it's out of your business, you know, I think that the money world, you know, it bleeds everywhere, right? So uh, wherever you want to apply it to. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So uh, one of the things I believe in is finding the meta trends and aligning with the meta trends and don't sweat small mistakes. And uh, so, I mean, just to go back to silver, since we're just talking about that, there's a lot of people that'll beat themselves up of, oh, I bought it at 28, now it's at 23, or I bought it at 30, you know, and or did I get the right, the, you know, should I got in bars instead of rounds or these kinds of things. And my general thing is, look, it's a meta trend. It's super, uh, super undervalued right now. And it's going to go up a lot. Um, and if you make micro mistakes, don't sweat it. But macro, I don't think there's a more suppressed asset right now than silver. Um, so macro on my business, on Fortis, we really guard our gross profit percentage in the sense of we're talking to clients and making sure we're delivering the value that they expect. We talk to our suppliers and our chauffeurs and make sure that they're getting like good income for them. And then we're monitoring that all the time. But you know, I don't really track how much we spend on office supplies. Right. Uh, I mean, it is tracked. I don't personally track it. But uh, one thing I realized about myself uh, on our leadership team, poker games, is that I'm actually a mediocre player of poker when the stakes are small. But I'm a really good poker player when the stakes are big. Mm. So I think that same that same mentality is that you know if it's a bigger risk if it's a bigger deal if there's more at stake if it's a meta trend um, I will do a ton of due diligence to make sure I'm right on that but I am at the same time completely able to just not care if I bought silver at sixteen or twenty three. I love it. So that was obviously more focused on growth of wealth, financial freedom. Um, you know. Tell us a little bit more about what legal creative strategies do you use to lower your taxable income or shelter defer taxes? I know you mentioned the 1031 exchange on you know your cap gains for real estate. Any others come to mind that you have kind of you know used over and over as you guys have obviously created and grown you know uh, the amount of income that you're showing and profits that you're showing? How do you guys um, you know keep that income as, as much of it in your pocket as possible? So uh, one thing we did this past year on that investment I mentioned to you earlier uh, that had a good ROI is that uh, my wife and I put that into, we created a donor advised fund and we put that appreciated stock into the advised fund. And so now we have a foundation and we can give through that. Nice. And one of the things I found was that at the end of each taxable year, um, because uh, a lot of our financial results weren't really known until the end of the year. So sometimes I didn't really know what I was playing with until like the last week or two. Right. And then because of the tax, I'm I'm doing shotgun weddings, you know, and they're not necessarily helpful just to kind of like, let's distribute the money. And I actually went back and looked at it. And I think there's some charities that we gave to that actually, uh, they weren't served because they didn't know. I mean, they didn't know if this is sustainable. This isn't like a recurring donation. This is just an end of the year thing. And then do you plan on that again or so yep. forth? And so now, um, literally, you know, we're able to deduct it when we give it to the fund. And then, you know, even this Christmas was more enjoyable because we didn't have to sit down and think about all of that. We were able just to say, you know, let's get to that in January. So um, that's that's been really helpful. That's awesome. Now, creating the wealth is one thing. What's your approach and take on legacy and passing it on? Is it something where you're going, you know, Warren Buffett style and saying, Hey, my kids aren't going to get any of this? 
or or is this something that you want to you know pass on and and what's your approach of you know how you're planning to distribute your wealth you know as as you uh you know kind of come to the end of your journey well i so i guess you know i mentioned earlier my faith but like i, I believe everything i have is god's and it's just on loan to me so um i think you know the the way i've heard wealth described is that it would be like going to the louvre and taking paintings and putting them under your arms and knowing that you're gonna have to leave the museum you know and it's just like what was the point in that? Like, why would you hoard? Um, and so I don't know in terms of, you know, what I want my kids, they're very young, would they even want to do this? But I do know that if they were involved or if they're not involved, uh, it's, it's, I think above a certain point that is, uh, uh, you know, maybe like a first down payment on a house type of point or something like that. Uh, I think, I think any kind of, even just inheritance to an income stream that doesn't come with like real earning of it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it do a lot of harm to kids. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a really good book I read called God money. And it basically takes all the Bible verses about money and it just distills them down. It's like 2000 verses about it. Nice. And it's basically like, here's a playbook for what to do with money. And I thought, well, I don't have time to go through 2000 Bible verses, but if you've done that on my behalf and I can implement that in my life, then I'll just play on to that and kind of tweak it here and there. And so pretty much that's what I've done is uh, just kind of implemented that book's philosophy. I love it. Well, Nathan, man, it's been a pleasure getting to connect with you and chat with you, hear your journey. Uh, and, and just to get in the, the mind of someone who's running such a big business, but uh, just how humble you are and, and how faith-driven and, and led you are and... Uh, I mean, those are amazing qualities and characteristics that I admire in in other leaders. And so I just want to say thank you for coming on and pouring into the Millionaire Mindcast community and family. And if more people want to check out you or your content or your book, you know, where's the best place for them to do that? So what rich clients want, but won't tell you is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's on all those different platforms. So it's uh, very easy to access. It's on Audible. Most of our chauffeurs and security people listen to the audible version for obvious reasons uh our uh, fortis is at fortis.co uh, that's that's where all of our uh company information is and then me personally my uh my author site is nathanfoy.com uh, and people can subscribe to a newsletter on there if they want to learn more and interact with me more directly awesome well we'll be sure to get all that information in the show notes all the links all the resources nathan it's been a pleasure man thank you so much thank you man it's been a pleasure well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 
447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a Million and Beyond. Cheers, my friend. <laughs>